Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Season 10 is here, Butler. Double digits, baby. Calm down. I'm just excited to talk about our whole new slate of films this upcoming season. We've got a Shakespearean adaptation set in the 70s in the world of fast food with Scotland, PA. We're also taking on two sequels to highly popular films in U.S. Marshals and 2010, The Year We Make Contact. But I know you're more excited about our third annual Forgotten Horror. It's my favorite time of the year. Recording October episodes in the dog days of August. Forgotten Cinema, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tahada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tahada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That is the year Birds of Prey debuted for the first time. Oh. You know, you know it's a team of badass heroines, you know, just going around, kicking ass, taking names, solving crimes. And, uh, you know, this universe has some badass heroines and a lot of assorted teams. And sometimes, like the Birds of Prey, sometimes the team works and sometimes it doesn't. And that's what we're here to discuss today. (laughs) Yes, because if you have joined us along on this journey, this is it. We have made it to our final film. We talked about it last week, but this time we really want to give that film this moment to shine. We're going to break down everything. We're going to talk about the comic book influences for it. We're going to talk about this whole universe here that we have and what they've done. And we're going to be your yet another DC animated podcast co-host here we are going to be talking about the proper watching order of this entire film series. We can't blame how the movies came out. You know, there's a lot of contributing factors that are way over our heads. But if you are looking to rewatch the universe or trying to introduce someone into the universe and you want to give them a clean and efficient watch, we have what we believe is the best way. We debated it for years, years. (laughs) Even though the the last movie came out last year. Yes, despite that, we went back in time and rewatched them like Doctor Strange four million times to figure out what is the optimum watch order. And we believe we found it. And we're definitely going to give that to you. And as for fun, we're just going to throw in some superhero superlatives, hand in some extra awards for this universe before we say goodbye to it. Like, you know, who has the greatest L count? Is it still going to be Green Lantern? We don't know. Yes. (laughs) 
So to kick off here, we're going to talk about the watch order, the proper way to watch these movies before leading up to the final climactic film. So kick us off. How do we start watching these 16 films? Give us the first three. So we have starting off running to the immediate first place spot. We have Flashpoint Paradox. Our boy Barry Allen, you know, we met him way back when. He has really showed that he needed to be here in the number one spot to, at this watching order because what he does is what sparks the beginning of this new universe. In order to truly understand why the next set of films, why things are going the way they are, you need to watch this because a lot of the older DC animated films weren't connected. There weren't, nothing was really canon throughout them. A couple were, but for the most part, this was the idea. Barry came through, created the Flashpoint Paradox, and that is how we have our next set of films, and including our next film, Justice League War. We had to be reintroduced to our team. You know, most people would say, you know, maybe you should start off with one individual and then build up, but these are characters that we've known for years. These are teams that we've known for years. These are stories that we've known for years. So what's the best way to reintroduce the DC world to us? Well, you bring forward the Justice League and you have them face off against one of their biggest bads. And, you know, it's really great to see that during this battle, they were able to meet one another, talk with one another, share kind of common occurrences and similarities between each other's storylines. And, you know, my favorite comic book moment from this movie as well was that you get a chance to see Batman and Superman talk about how much of a jerk Lex Luthor is. As well as, you know, Batman and Flash bonding over the fact that they had detective skills. When you have a moment in this movie to just really appreciate the growth and the, also the origin stories of some of our characters here, like a little bit of Wonder Woman and a lot of Cyborg, you obviously have to see what's coming up next for them because they really helped to close down this film with Throne of Atlantis. As time has passed, our heroes have become more seasoned. They've experience things following up their battle with dark side there's only just been a short period of time too between these films so now that we've seen that our justice league is in the early stages of signing the paperwork and getting it notarized to be an official team we have throne of atlantis here to see that team not only get developed but also grow so now that we've seen our heroes have been growing in this sense our next stage, you know, what, what should be our next set of films, Andrew? Like, what are our next three watch order films? Right before we get into that, I do want to mention that there may be some question of why don't you start with Justice League War, where you get the in origins of the characters, the team first meeting, and then go to Flashpoint Paradox, where everything is reset. Thing is, the animation in Flashpoint Paradox is so different <laughs> from oh, <yes>. everything else <laughs> that it will be absolutely jarring for you to go from war to Flashpoint Paradox. And because the events of Flashpoint Paradox don't come up until much later anyway, it doesn't really matter that Flash knows Batman in this universe of Flashpoint Paradox as well as the rest of the Justice League because they're just about to be reset anyway. So it really doesn't matter that much. Just go with those two in that order. But after you have seen these three Justice League movies, just do a Batman trilogy. It's just going to be easiest. <laughs> it's just going to be easier for you. So you kick off with Son of Batman, which is your major introduction to Damian Wayne and the League of Assassins. 
So it's going to set up a lot of plot points. Obviously, Damon and Wayne is going to be a huge part of this, but also the League of Assassins is very important to comprehend going forward. So you're going to get that right away. Then you go straight to Batman versus Robin, which is probably still the pinnacle of the Batman solo adventures here. Mm -hmm. And you get to deepen that relationship between Batman and Damien right after you've been introduced to the character. So everything's going to hit hard. It's going to hit home because you've just met these people and you're just trying to grasp where there are and in life. And then finish off the trilogy on a lower note with Batman Bad Blood, where you get the (laughs) end of Damien and Batman's adventure and adversarial initial relationship. Though it continues throughout the universe, this is the moment where they really, you see the the close of their rift come to an end. And since all the characters in Bad Blood, besides Damien, Nightwing, and Batman, don't come back anyway, there's no reason to move them up any closer. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, they do appear in cameos and background scenes, but come on. (laughs) We have no lines, it doesn't count. (laughs) Exactly. The things you learn about Batwoman in this movie don't help you for the rest of it. So you might as well get it out of the way now and finish off the Batman trilogy. Once you're done with that, you've seen so many hours of Batman. You need a break. How do you start off the next three films? Our next three films. Now, people might be saying, you might be saying, hey, doesn't this watch order sound very similar to what we probably the way they've already kind of done it. No, we're going to throw you a curveball right here by putting right up to our number seven spot, Constantine's City of Demons. Why, you ask, are we watching this movie? Well, because Constantine in this movie does not connect in any way, shape, or form to any of the Justice League members. He doesn't meet up with anybody. Everything that he's doing is a complete solo adventure. It is a nice break to introduce a character to you because this is what this movie did. You know, it wasn't rumblings or hearing about his work throughout the ages. It's just like here's a brand new reluctant hero who would rather get a drink than save a person. And to have that Constantine City of Demons would be the nice breakup point, and especially with a film that was such a great um, story, great dialogue, everything. It's nice to have it be kind of what will help to wash away what Batman Bad Blood has done to you. Yes. Get that blood (laughs) off your hands. And the other great thing about Constantine City of Demons is that it is one of our first films to actually introduce magic. So continuing on with that train, we're going to jump on over to Constantine teaming up with his own Justice League Dark. Justice League Dark, we see that our main Justice League team is dealing with some kind of nightmarish, demonic, somewhat possessions and all of that. So when you have that, all of our heroes are just perplexed on what to do and even batman doesn't know what to do to have it be that he's the focal point to bridge a little bit of this universe here here it makes sense you know most times you're just saying we wish that we didn't always have it be batman to be the one but here it does make sense because they do have this connection in their styles by which i mean batman and constantine they kind of have similar personalities in some ways so to have it be that Batman is the one to go out and find this new Justice League Dark team, it makes sense because it also helps to introduce some magic to the, the Justice League canon. The other thing, too, is that Batman is so skeptical about magic in general that 
it's great to see him go on this journey and have it be that someone else is taking the wheel here. And that being like Constantine, Zatanna, Deadman, the, the House of Mystery, all these characters. Granted, yes, we don't get a chance to see how Constantine meets up with any of these individuals here that help to make up the Justice League Dark team. But I think that we don't need to worry too much about that because a lot of these characters are introduced in this film. And it's better to have a sense of who Constantine is to then hear about in Justice League Dark, him kind of blowing up the Justice League phone line and Batman's you know mirrors and whatnot. Yeah, I was also going to say it's going to resolve a huge plot point in the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that movie is Justice League versus Teen Titans. So we're continuing on with this magical train ride that we have. And the reason why we have this following up Justice League Dark instead of before it was before is all because of Batman. Batman was so skeptical about magic. Like, if Superman hates magic, Batman was just like... This doesn't exist. It's not real. It's not science. And that's how he acted the entire time during Justice League Dark. To have it be that originally with Justice League versus Teen Titans, Batman just has an understanding of, you know, people are being possessed. I need to hit myself with adrenaline in order or a nerve toxin in order to break out from demonic possession and all that. Batman is smart. Yes. But Batman also needs prep time. I do not believe that if Batman was first introduced to a demon of some kind, that he would know exactly what to do. We felt like he got more of that knowledge from his working along with Constantine and Justice League Dark. So having Justice League versus Teen Titans be the next stage after Justice League Dark makes more sense just because of Batman's demeanor and also the rest of the League having their more of a close-up encounter with magic and demons and all that. It makes sense for the next character that we're going to talk about next set of films. And Andrew, I'm going to kick it over to you to talk about those. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I I think the last thing I want to say about that trilogy is I think that originally because Constantine wasn't in that mix, I think they felt like they needed to have Teen Titans come first to introduce demons before Dark. But now Mm, that problem is resolved. Demons are out there. You know it. I know it. So (laughs) it it (laughs) flows better. So after you've watched all of these demon demonic movies, it's time to bring it back to space (laughs) with Death of Superman. During these last couple movies, Superman has been increasingly important. He's briefly possessed in Dark. He is fully possessed in Teen Titans. And now he's just back to doing good in Death of Superman before he dies. <laughs> um, and this is a great, this is a great epic story. It, it will take you away from the magic for a second and put the focus back on the heroes. And originally we were like, why is there such a huge gap between death and reign of Superman? And we kind of had the urge to just put them together, but we do want you to feel that gap, that loss of Superman in the universe. So after Death of Superman, hit Teen Titans' Judas contract. Has nothing to do with the big Justice League team. It's a Teen Titans adventure, and it shows how a team can come together and break apart. And this is going to be hugely important later on once we get to the finale of it. It's going to set up some plot lines and characters that we'll need at the end. And then after you've seen a good team come together, see a bad team come together with Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, which kind of weirdly puts a lot of elements from the last few movies together. 
any major character can die. You get to see some magic theming. And it's just a fun adventure to have to break up all the dark things you're going to be seeing in these last few movies. And after Hell to Pay, it's time for the trilogy that leads up to the end. And also before that, Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, as we mentioned before, does include mentions of the Flashpoint Paradox. That is why it is key that this film takes place all the way in the very beginning, by which I mean Flashpoint Paradox. But also our next set of films really help to close it out because by mentioning the Flashpoint Paradox so later in the end, it makes sense for these next films, which we first start off with Reign of the Superman. So as we mentioned, we really wanted to have some more time with dealing with the death of Superman. So having two other films included there makes more sense because in this film is all about legacy. It's all about what does it mean to be a super person? How do you step up and fill in the shoes of like basically who was the world's greatest hero? So by having Teen Titans do this contract and Suicide Squad, you get a sense to see just like the moral response team of the Teen Titans. And then we kind of have like, I don't know, I guess the U.S. response team of the Suicide Squad. Uh, don't come after me, USA. <laughs> just, <laughs> so with Reign of the Superman, we also see kind of like what happens when you take that mindset and put it in a bubble within Metropolis. And also it starts off our last movies here with our Trinity, which is a really great thing to do, I feel. We have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. They've always been our trinity here in the DC universe. They are the originators of the Justice League. So to have Reign of Superman and have Superman come back stronger than ever and then follow it up with our next film, Wonder Woman Bloodlines. I know that we kind of like, we just had a lot of feelings about Wonder Woman (laughs) Bloodlines, but some of the key things that come up is Yes, it is a 20 minute prequel in the beginning, but it does help to a little bit advance the storyline of Wonder Woman. One of the main things that it does do is that it does address that she and Superman are no longer together. So we first heard about this breakup and death of Superman. Again, it was a relationship that just did not seem to get developed well at all so to have it now kind of like the two of them are starting to move on because in death of superman superman's addressing that you know he's kind of have feelings for lois lane who we met in throwing up atlantis um also i guess they're dating now at this point and then to have it the one line in wonder woman bloodlines in which steve and diana are having a conversation and diana addresses the fact that she's no longer with superman this is the only reason why we had to put this movie at the end of Reign of Superman had to definitely have to happen after Death of Superman because it really kind of shows that they're at a moving on point. Granted, also, we just had to deal with the fact, too, that like Wonder Woman does unfortunately not get a chance to complete her story based off the after credit scene. Um, but it, when the movie does come to an actual end before the before the credits start rolling, we do get a sense of like, OK, Wonder Woman has found her place. She has been accepted once again. So it's good that that is kind of like a real kind of conclusion to a story. And then finally, we wrap that up with Batman Hush to wrap up the Trinity. This is also a great moment because our Trinity has found love in, in a partner outside of the Justice League. So it kind of shows that the team is not necessarily growing, but they're growing as people. And this is a movie that really helped to show that Batman was truly growing as a person. Batman Bad Blood didn't really do it as much. Like that one definitely at the end of it made it seem like this was going to be an end story for Batman. But 
you know, we needed time to spend with the man versus the bat. So glad to have this one here. Also, there the reason why we had to put this so close to the end was because of Batman crossing paths with Lex Luthor. In this movie, we see that Lex Luthor is a full junior member of the Justice League at this point. And to have that well kind of blended into the story and the plot itself at a midway point, that confirmed that we definitely had to put this after Reign of Superman, after the after credits from that movie. Also, we have that Batman and Superman cross paths. Uh, Lois definitely knows that Clark is Superman. So there's no way now that we can put this movie any anytime before Reign of Superman, because that's when she found out um, his secret back in Death of Superman. So to have Clark be back and also for him and Lois to be in a relationship it is key that Batman Hush takes place towards the end of our universe here. Yes, it is incredibly annoying because Reign of Superman would be the perfect prologue to Apocalypse yes. War, but there is just no way you can have it any later. There's just no way because, <laughs> yeah, bloodlines and Hush events just don't line up well before it. So you just gotta you just gotta do it this way and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then you have Apocalypse War to close you out. And yeah, that's the order. We'll definitely post this either in a shared doc or underneath the podcast somewhere so you can follow along. But yeah, I th- we think this is the definitive list. Some major changes we threw in there. But I think this is the best best flow, really. Yeah. I, I We've debated it long enough. <laughs> oh yeah, we've been going back and forth on this even before we started doing anything for this podcast and it, it makes sense you know i there there are moments that you know like thank thank you andrew for definitely pointing out some things as our you know like our freelance writer our storyteller <laughs> here i was just like well i mean based off of comic book canon these should flow and you were like nah <laughs> this nah what are you talking about <laughs> so now we've established our watch order it's time for us to give some awards because you know what this universe deserves a little little extra acclaim than like any awards and everything. So we're going to start off on a high note before we get to the low notes. <laughs> so we separately came up with our own. We do not know the answers to each of our own questions. So we will be just as surprised as you are. So let's start off with best villain besides Darkseid in <laughs> this entire canon. What did you go with? For best villain... I'm going to have to go all the way back to more or less the beginning of our series here. And I'm going to pass it over to Talon. I think he really kind of showed a pushing point for for just like the Bat family in general. His dialogue kind of made sense. You got some good introduction of his backstory. They did such a great job in writing this character that compared to the rest of the villains that we have, who basically are kind of just like beat down people and all that, like Orm was man, like you saw how evil he was and Lex, you saw how kind of like he, they were never really truly the main villains of any film. I mean, Orm was, but like he, it just compared to Talon, who yes, was technically a lackey for the Court of Owls. The Court of Owls wouldn't have shined if it wasn't for Talon. And it's because Talon was kind of just so manipulative and I loved it, like to get involved with Robin and Batman in that way, creating that divide. And also makes sense that Batman versus Robin was honestly one of my favorite movies, one of the best movies 
in this entire universe. So I got to give best villain to Talon. What about you? Uh, it's Tusk, obviously. Um, <laughs> I was going to no say that Tusk or Snakey Doyle. <laughs> Tusk and Snakey Doyle were racing for my number one and two. But no, no. For, but to be serious, Talon was very close for me. I love his connection and the thematic ways he was weaved into the movie. But I think if we're talking pure villain status, I, I'm going with Reverse Flash. It was it was Reverse Flash all along. Ooh. I think Damn. the incredible <laughs> way they had a villain that was so tactical and so smart and so evil for really no reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and to have him come back ten movies or so later mm-hmm. and be this domineering presence this very smart intelligent one someone you never thought you'd feel any empathy for and make him somewhat empathetic by having his fear of death be the anchoring point and again we don't know anything about this dude we don't know why we don't really know why he hates the flash in this universe we don't know what the beef is but for some reason it worked so well and to have him be this big surprise twice in the universe I think outside of Dark Side, no one can boast quite the resume that Reverse Flash has, nearly ending the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I true, mean, true. that's pretty impressive. So <laughs> yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Reverse Flash. And also just to also remember, based on our comic book knowledge, he kicked Barry down a set of steps when he was a child. So remember that, y'all. He is evil. So, <laughs> so petty. It was <laughs> it was me, Flash. <laughs> Our next award goes to most underused hero in this universe. Who, who you got? Okay. I've been going back and forth on this because we have a lot of cameos in this universe. Like we saw the new 52 Wally West, who is a black kid. I definitely want to have experienced more stories. There's a great comic book story arc that I hopefully they um, put in film. It's very short, but hopefully they do it. We also have like Donna Troy popped up. We had, um, you know, like we, we just had so many heroes. But I feel like the hero is probably the most underused was Shazam. Uh, <laughs> I know this sounds weird because he does have a full intro movie with uh, Justice League War, but dude kind of disappears. Like, we don't ever see him again. And to have that Shazam kind of, you know, he's been growing in in popularity after the movie with Zachary Levi, and to have it be that we introduced him in our first film, it's like you had a great opportunity to tie him a bit more along with maybe, you know, kind of like what Young Justice has done in their animated series to tie him a bit with the Teen Titans, have him be kind of like a teacher liaison. Like, I know we kind of adopted that for Cyborg a little bit, but it would have been great to have it here because he has that mindset. He is super powered. Like, he is basically all of our heroes kind of wrapped in one. He is, and he would have been great because his powers derive from magic. Again, he's like a teenager, so he doesn't really know that much science. But like, it'd be great to have him pile around with Superman. You know, Reign of Superman would have been a great opportunity to have him come through and maybe like step, like try to help in cases because he's probably looked up to Superman in a way, given that their power sets are very similar in, in some manners. 
could have tied it in with Wonder Woman bloodlines because of the fact that his power is from the gods. He could have definitely had more roles and speak in dialogue in the Apocalypse War movie. I just felt like Shazam, to have him kind of disappear throughout a majority of this universe was a bit of a waste. And really would have loved to have seen more Shazam pop up just because of he has all these connections and his abilities to a lot of our heroes here. What about you? Most underused hero. Again, we were very similar minds. I was so close to picking Shazam because there, I remember this Justice League Unlimited episode, I think it was, where Shazam and Superman are tricked into fighting each other. Yes, and that's why I wanted to yeah, see that. They're, so, they're on the, basically the same tier level. And mm-hmm. the fact that whenever Superman got into trouble, Shazam was sent in and basically just didn't do anything. They were just like, oh, he's inferior to Superman. End of story. Like, did he even help in Death of Superman? I can't even remember if Shazam helped. No, because I remember we were talking about this, too. It's just like my dude is on par with Superman. And yet, where is he? Like, there's no way that he'd just be writing a book report during this time. Yeah. So, yes, there is definitely huge missed opportunities with Shazam. But you could at least excuse those for like maybe plot reasons just so Mm -hmm. things wouldn't be solved. The one thing I cannot excuse at all is Martian Manhunter. What? <laughs> oh my God, I forgot he was in the universe. hell <laughs> did they do? Because I was ready to pick Shazam until I realized that in the last film, one of the Furies is Martian Manhunter. Yeah. And sure, Hawkman is there too, but no one really gives a crap about Hawkman. I'm sorry. If you're a Hawkman fan, please make, me, make it make sense for me. But... <laughs> Martian Manhunter is one of the most interesting characters in DC canon. Has such a great backstory. It's so rich. It's so deep. Has such a unique power set. He's basically like Vision with mm-hmm. extra powers. And the fact is, we, I don't think we hear a line of dialogue from him the yeah. entire time. I don't think we ever hear him speak. He was in Death of Superman, though. Like, he fought there. I think probably, I mean, I could be conv- confusing it with the Carl Lumbly, um Justice League movie, <laughs> um, comics, or sorry, animated series in which it just really just all you hear is him screaming. But I'm trying to remember if he did say something. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember if he spoke in Death of Superman. <laughs> he was there for like two seconds. And my thing with Martian Manhunter, especially with given his history and everything, is the fact that one of the great parts of the seeing the Furies was like, oh my God, it's a twisted Wonder Woman. It's a twisted Starfire. Mm-hmm. It's a twisted Mirror. These characters we had all spent full movies each with. We got to know them and to see them as mindless zombies was really effective. Hawkman, again, doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you could turn him <laughs> into a zombie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. But Martian Manhunter if you could have set up a little bit of his backstory of him having a fight in this Martian war and trying to like step away from war and then have him turned into an instrument of war against his own people. Come on. That story Mm -hmm. would have slapped, but you didn't do it. You gave nothing to Martian Manhunter so you could make seven Batman movies. So I cannot, (laughs) I cannot forgive the omission of such a great character. I wonder if that's really just because 
I'm thinking about it now. Shazam and Martian Manhunter weren't a part of this universe in the comic book sense. They got introduced much later on. They had like mini series. Shazam actually got included into the Justice League comics, I think, after the events of Throne of Atlantis, maybe even later. And then for the most part, they turned Martian Manhunter into a villain in the comics. I think he had a bit of a arc in which he was fighting against Justice League. And I think they finally like kind of retconned that. So would have loved to have seen all this stuff. I wonder if that's maybe just the case, but we definitely needed to see. Cause like, if you're going to be creating movies that kind of like stem a little bit from this comic book world, but also like you're trying to capture that nostalgia that you have with the Justice League Unlimited and Justice League, like the Batman Superman animated series, like it would have been great if you just included these characters kind of like more in the beginning. Like we need mm-hmm. some more time with Martian Manhunter, especially, and also with Shazam. Yeah, you know, like, an honorable mention of Batgirl who showed up just to die. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I was That's so literally so mad at that right now. She was like third or fourth on my list, honestly. Yeah, she, there's just not enough to be really mad about her. But come on, mm-hmm. like we're gonna introduce her at the end of Bat Blood as a really cute Easter egg, and now she's dead. Moving on from most underused to another out-of-the-box category, what is the most bizarre moment, plotline, character in the DC universe? What What is the weirdest thing that just made, kept you shaking your head? I mean, besides the entire movie of Batman Bad Blood. Uh, <laughs> yes. Actually, going with Batman Bad Blood, I think it had to be the death of the heretic. Mm-hmm. In Batman Bad Blood, we get introduced to an aged-up clone of Damian Wayne we find out that Talia al Ghul I guess again this is why this was like the most bizarre plot moment Talia al Ghul after being resurrected in out um, using the Lazarus pit after the events of Son of Batman she seems to have gone full evil doesn't make any sense she's facing off and trying to take down on the Bat family and one of the moves that she does is when the heretic who again is this um, aged up clone of Damian Wayne kind of goes out of line. She shoots him, kills him right there before the final events even happen. I just really felt, felt like this was really out of the box because now we're confused about what kind of movie is this? Is it like just really just the overall plot of the movie of is heretic kind of like a part of our big bad is it really just to be to introduce batwoman here in this film but to have it be that heretic doesn't even make it to the last battle was such a weird moment for me because you killed him at what could have felt like the end of our film here but then to include another 20 minutes of just an additional story arc it just seems so weird Um, So that was my most bizarre moment because it just felt like you wasted a character who in the comics has such a big moment in that storyline that they were trying to adapt. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Heretic is a is a bizarre, just a bizarre choice overall. I think that, yes, this this universe had a lot of like the fact that everybody could breathe underwater was really weird. (laughs) What, when the pressure should have instantly killed them, Talia Sutton villainous turn. But weirdly, the thing that sticks up most for me is the most bizarre sequence of events 
is basically the conclusion of Justice League Dark about who the big villain is. Because kind mm-hmm. of like Hush did, they set up this big villain as this very sexist wizard. <laughs> there's an extensive fight scene with him. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's not the big bad. The big bad is actually the friend from earlier. And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's not the big bad either. The big bad is actually the demon that was one in the in one of the backstories that you were just introduced to 10 minutes ago. And <laughs> you're like, uh, okay. I, I guess it, it was just such a bizarre way to end that movie to have like this ancient evil be the big bad. And then you're just going to do that in the next movie anyway. And Teen yeah. Titans. So it's like, what, what's going on? It, it was, it was, it was copy and paste. <laughs> exactly. It was a copy and paste. And I think they should have pulled back on the twist. So it could have made actual sense, but yeah, I, there was a point where it's like, maybe the sexist wizard should have been the big bad. Maybe the whole thing should have been about defeating the patriarchy. You know, I, I would have been okay with it, but they just couldn't help themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we talked about most bizarre moment, we got to give our final award to our final awards for the best and the worst movies, man. What do you, what you well, got? Man. You know, there have been some major disappointments in this universe. Throne of Atlantis really came up short. It swam up short. And Bad Blood is definitely the most disappointing movie. But there is just no getting around it. The worst movie in this canon is Wonder Woman Bloodlines. It's a movie that does not need to exist and again as we said in the review we need a good wonder woman story absolutely we do need one and i i think she has such an interesting and wide history to draw from that can make for good stories but the choice to have a prequel to a character that had already been embedded in the universe instead of just trying to do something new really held this movie back because they spend 40 minutes it feels like setting up a character we already know we've already met you we don't need any setup and then after that the movie continues on with events that don't have anything to do with the rest of the universe at all so Mm. it just felt like a huge waste of time and potential the plot is held together by strings there's a minotaur introduced and he's not in the climax of the movie. Come on, people. <laughs> These are easy layups. And the whole Medusa, like that that movie, it just falls apart when you look at it too hard. It's the lowest it can go. I know I previously was like, bad blood must be worse. But after some thought, no, it's bloodlines. <laughs> I also just want to point out the joke that you just made, because at one point, Ferdinand, our minotaur here, is definitely wearing a Chicago Bulls apron. Like, I'm 90% sure of this in the film. (laughs) Worst movie for me. And, you know, I I did give this a thought, too. Like, going back on it, like, we gave Batman Bad Blood a lot of shit. And that was because it just felt like too many storylines, too many villains, too many people were just being introduced over and over. So I'm not going to go with the easy choice here because 
I'm going to go with what I truly felt after some time. Throne of Atlantis. Oh. Did not earn the worst movie because I agree with you that Wonder Woman Bloodlines really just dropped the ball here. I agree we did not need to have a prequel. I thought I was going back and forth with Throne of Atlantis because the stories just didn't, there were bizarre plot points, like, you know, the people breathing underwater, the disrespect that they pulled on Cyborg. But this story of Throne of Atlantis is still better than Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Again, agree, we spent so much time on introducing Wonder Woman and to then have it be that we now have to spend an hour to throw her into this whole world of creating of the old gods and trying to save her friend and then also introducing villain after villain after villain. But, you know, it wasn't paced well. It didn't really give me a sense of like, I can connect with Wonder Woman in a way. Like, I think we just needed to, like animation fight scenes, great. I think we needed though to step away from an origin story and really help push the story along. Like, I'm going to keep saying this. I'm very upset that a movie that is titled Wonder Woman Bloodlines was talking about figurative sisterhood when you legit have Amazons operating, other than Wonder Woman, Amazons are operating within the DC universe. Why didn't we not get a chance to have Wonder Woman connect with Donna Troy? We saw Donna Troy have her cameo at the end of Teen Titans Juice Contract. You know, you could have literally, I'm going to say this right now. We had a moment to steal what I believe is going to be the plot line for the one, the third Wonder Woman film that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are going to be doing. We had a moment to just put it here in an animated format. And it would have been great because, you know, had it here to then lead up into a live action presentation because we have already been introduced to Donna Troy on so many fronts with Titans here in this universe. Like we have it. We have it. Why can't we have Wonder Woman push her story along past her origin story? So I'm giving this the worst movie mainly because it had the potential to be great and you just, they didn't do it. So, you know, if this was Survivor or whatever, you got to go home. Gotta go home. <laughs> Your torch is out. And now for the big one. What Ooh. is the best movie in this universe? As a reminder, our top-ranked movies were Flashpoint Paradox, Batman versus Robin, Constantine City of Demons. I think you yeah, made that was up there. Okay. That was up there. We got Death of Superman and rounding it out with Apocalypse War. So we got five big things here. And as a comic book reader and a fan of this universe, I have to go with apocalypse war you know it's weird to say that your best movie was the one that ended the universe but this did such a great job in bringing out every single character it felt like i was truly reading a crisis event comic we saw that our heroes failed i think that's one of my favorite things about some movies is like when you see your heroes fail and then come up it was really done well with Empire Strikes Back and leading into Star Wars and Turn of the Jedi. Shout out to our friends over at yeah, another Star Wars podcast and the Forgotten mm-hmm. Entertainment family. You know, you have these moments in which our heroes lost 
and we needed to see how they overcome that. And it's a very popular idea now. We see it with Star Wars. We see it with the MCU between the events of Infinity War and, and Endgame. Also, another shout out to you, another MCU podcast. of the kind of entertainment family. Shout everybody out today. Yep, you know, you got to do it. So I, I love those kinds of storylines. And to have it be that we had a full hero presence in this to see some of our heroes lose, see our heroes grow, see the worst case scenario like Batman in the Mobius chair in this upgraded style. Like it was awesome to have like your unorthodox ending of what does it mean to have victory? Like, you know, happen to work alongside villains or demonic beings that you wouldn't normally do to have all of this be how you wrap up your how you present yourself in the film. I loved it. That's why I count this as the best movie in this universe. Yeah, it's, it was, this is a hard decision. We had a lot of top tier movies here. I loved, I loved Constantine City of Demons more than I thought I would. Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay is always a fun watch. But I think it comes down to best fund of story stakes for me. And I think Batman versus Robin is my top. I particularly love two things about a, a superhero movie. One, when it ends with the hero real sad. And two, <laughs> when the stakes are not just about defeating a villain or saving the world, it's about the, the battle for one's soul and mm-hmm. the, the question of why do you keep doing this? And I think Batman versus Robin, by having a story focused on Batman, essentially trying to save the soul of his son. And at the same time, they're fighting off this great villain that's a great counterpoint to everything Batman stands for. And to have a conclusion where the heroes haven't won. They haven't really won. They defeated the villain, but the cost of defeating that villain was high. And I love that it brings up these really deep questions that go on to form the rest of the universe and that you could watch nothing before this. You could go into Batman versus Robin having the barest knowledge of the universe or the characters and you would still get so much of the story. You don't have to watch anything else. Apocalypse War, to get that full effect, it's kind of like Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay. Both of those movies, if you want the full effect, you have to watch at least one other movie. And mm-hmm. Batman versus Robin, you can walk right in. You can get into this really great story with a fantastic opening, by the way. Fantastic. One of the best cold opens in oh, the yeah. universe. So I think from top to the bottom, that story was well-crafted. I think it is an underrated gem in the Batman movie canon. And I will always support a good rewatch of Batman versus Robin. Yes. And it just has so many great comic book influences in it too. Like, you know, it starts off with the new 52 Batman series of his battle with the court of vials. You have in that cold open, it's just very reminiscent of the red hood introduction comics by Judd Winnick. So I agree. Like it was definitely that was that was the movie I was battling for the top spot along <laughs> with the Justice League Apocalypse score yeah, for me. They're so good. That's our award show here. We really put a lot of care and thought into what we felt was the best watching order and also what these super superlatives were. We you might say that we even probably called in some extra help. Extra help. 
freelancers. What do we know about freelancers? Well, we know a lot because of our affiliate partner, Fiverr. Do you need a freelancer to help you with your website or WordPress site? Or an expert presentation design to help with that big work project? Or maybe you just need someone to write expert articles and blogs for that website. Look no further than the number one freelance marketplace, Fiverr. You can find designers, programmers, and more in seconds, some for as low as $5 per gig. Fiverr is the ideal tool to help you with your pressing projects. Just post your gig or search for freelancers and you're off to the races. Don't deal with the hassle of finding freelancers yourself. Let Fiverr help you. See the link in the description of this episode to get started. Please note that yet another DC animated podcast is an affiliate partner of Fiverr. We may receive commissions on purchases and services you buy after you click the link below. These commissions help support the growth of yet another DC animated podcast. So we appreciate your continued support. All right. So that was a word from our super team of freelancers over at Fiverr. Now it's time to talk about that comic book knowledge. We're going to talk about everything dealing with the DC universe, specifically about their world and multiverse ending events called crisis. And today's set of stories are called we have a crisis on our hands <laughs> because these are moments in the DC canon in which the writers and the executive producers, everybody who's involved are just like, you know what? We need a moment to just come back and really kind of break down what's been happening. It's too much going on. And, you know, sometimes it's great to just kind of have a, let's come on back. Let's refocus. And they do so by creating moments in their comic book history in which they start fresh. And that's what these crisis moments are. So there are seven multiversal crises so far in comic book history. Andrew, you think we, um, you know of any one of them off the top of your head? Uh, yes. Uh, the one that happened in the DC Arrowverse. Does that count as one of the crises? <laughs> Yes, actually, because that one is based off the very first crisis event ever created in the DC world called Crisis on Infinite Earths. In Crisis on Infinite Earths back in 1985, we get introduced to the concept that there are two main beings within the DC multiverse. This is the monitor and the anti-monitor. They are the heads of basically the positive and the negative sides of matter that exists in the DC universe. Whenever something, a world possibly ends on the positive side, that energy gets pushed over to the dark side. And that is where we get to the point where the anti-monitor has developed enough energy to take over and try to extend his reach out further. So just like in actually, this is really great that um, the CW has already done this. If you ever want to see kind of like a visual representation of it, definitely check out the CW Arrowverse, the Crisis on Infinite Earths, because during that moment, the anti-monitor started spreading his reach and worlds were getting destroyed. Therefore, the monitor decided that he wanted to pull in heroes from different universes to band together to help fight against the anti-monitor and his dark forces. So we get a chance to see like different versions of Superman come up and different versions of Batman. A lot of our heroes, a lot of our heroes, unfortunately, also sacrifice their lives. Like Flash ran into the speed force and that led into him being taken away from us and Wally West being put forward as the new Flash. Um, Supergirl had passed away. These moments help to 
then lean into deleting a lot of these other versions of our heroes from the story. And that is where we get the concept of, all right, now that we are back on the singular earth, we are going to rewrite these stories, reintroduce individuals. And that is how a crisis moment really works. Gotcha. So it's just a big reset button when things get too convoluted. (laughs) And Yes, and there have been so many more crisis moments since then. As I mentioned, there have been seven. Some of them have dealt with time. Some of them have dealt with the aftermath of this original crisis. But the ones that we have the most experience with are Flashpoint, which is the first film in our universe here. The Flashpoint crisis happened in 2011. Just as a reminder, Flash, Barry Allen, distraught over, once again, the death of his mother, decides to go back in time and save her from being killed by the reverse Flash after it was revealed to him, after actually one of these crisis moments, that reverse Flash was the one that killed his mother, leading Barry onto this journey of becoming the hero that he is. We then stemmed into this new 52 continuity that we have here. Yeah, just you just can't go back in time and undo a thing that makes you you. Time travel one on one. (laughs) And so this continuity lasted for quite a while. It actually lasted for about five years on New 52. It wrapped in May of 2016 with the beginning of the Dark Side War. That is what our movie that we were just talking about is based off of. This is what our continuity the films everything are all pulling from this new 52 continuity that ran from 2011 starting with jeff johns being the writer to ending in 2016 with jeff johns being the writer again there are so many comics that came out of it um each hero had almost about 50 comics each during this time so we are talking about hundreds and hundreds of comics that were released between these years damn The Dark Side War, which is the crisis moment that this one is called, was something that really helped to change the game in this continuity of the New 52 that led into its actual end and whatnot. Again, crisis events happen throughout the years. Every so often, this is when DC decides they want to pull a reboot to help introduce some more storylines, maybe create some new characters, bring back a character that they before was canonically dead. So these crisis moments really helped to change the game. And this is exactly what Dark Side War did. Dark Side War of New 52 was about 11 main issues with seven tie-in comics. It really helped to push forward the DC Rebirth set of storylines. And in it, we see that Dark Side has once again gained power. He has found the, the anti-life equation. And this leads into actually the Anti-Monitor coming back to life or coming back into our DC continuity to face off against Darkseid because he believes that he has grown too powerful, leading into a large battle that included the Anti-Monitor, Darkseid and his forces, and our Justice League heroes. At the end of it, Darkseid is killed by a version of Flash that gets warped and fused with the god of death Mm, that sounds metal as hell (laughs) funny thing is is actually a dark knight's metal uh crisis event so (laughs) they really did pull from everything but besides that this crisis moment led into 
now a power vacuum, basically. Like, as we talked about with Jack Kirby and his fourth world creations, the members of Apocalypse and the Genesis are basically new versions of the gods of old. So now that the basically that the gods are dead, what do you what do you do here? Like Darkseid was one of the final ones. So that meant that the Justice League had to take on the abilities of basically being these new gods. Uh, something that was pulled right from the comic and put into this into our film here was Batman being the one to be in the Mobius chair. This version of Batman in our film became more evil because, again, he was more warped and twisted by Darkseid. But when he's in the Mobius chair in our comic books, he becomes basically the god of knowledge, which is, I guess, a fitting role for our detective here because he basically Batman just knows everything. Shazam becomes the god of gods. Flash again, he I mentioned that he becomes the god of death. Superman and Lex, they also get teleported to Apocalypse and Superman gets warped by the energy that's there, becoming the god of strength. And Lex becomes the, the new god and ruler of Apocalypse. So most of our comics here, they tie in a lot with just kind of like the aftermath of how these heroes have now adopted and taken on their new abilities. But like all crisis events, you can't have this be you know, the next stage of our heroes. So obviously this is when they decide that like the aftermath of this story arc, this is when we needed to reboot our universe. And that's exactly what they did. Adopting a very similar style to some of these crises, the, the seven crisis events that there have ever been through history, they decided to let's kind of end this world. This is a world ending battle because now it is the, new god-like Justice League versus the Anti-Monitor as they are trying to once again save the world and save the multiverse because if the Anti-Monitor wins that means that the positive matter world is no longer going to be you know a place where they can exist and ain't nobody want to be living in the Anti-Monitor world it's dark no one pays their light bills I don't even think there's any like actual ground where you foundation for building anything Wait, is there Netflix? No. Oh, God, no, we can't live here. <laughs> so our heroes fought. At some point, Darkseid is reborn. Um, it's, it's really crazy. Definitely, I would recommend for you to read a comic. They don't connect and match up with the film here, but it is a fun read because it does definitely help push forward a lot of the aftermath events that lead into DC Rebirth. like something dealing with a secret that Batman learned about the Joker. And Wonder Woman also finds out a bit more about her heritage, which really helps to push her story along. So hopefully people take note of that and use this story even more, even more in the end. And finally, um, you know, unfortunately, Superman uh, might also not be able to make it out of this one, too. So and it also revealed a very big secret that connected all of the DC multiverse in this way. So it was a very crazy comic. I can see why though, that they didn't want to actually put it the way that it was on comic onto the film because our film series helped to introduce a new mindset and a new set of heroes that didn't really make its way into this new 52 continuity. At the time when a lot of these movies were being produced, new 52 had already wrapped up his story arc. By 2016, again, 
we had we still had like a bunch of films to create. So once those comics started coming out after 2016, they realized they were more popular storylines. So they decided to try to see if they can adopt some of them and put them into our film series here while also pulling from a lot of the older comics. So this universe did a great job in really making you feel what it's like to be a comic book reader fan because there are so many so many nods so many stories and adaptations that they're doing and i for one really enjoyed this journey that they did because it showed that yes some things weren't going to work well by trying to combine them and fix them based off of you know what universe and canon and post-crisis event that happened in but they still did it in a way that it made sense and obviously if some things don't make sense we were fortunate enough to have a reboot. Yeah, there's always nice to just start all over again <laughs> in life. You know, get rid of your social security number, become a superhero. Who cares? You know? <laughs> we're not encouraging you to do the first thing, but the second one, maybe not either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is that was a bit about our comics. Um, you know, I love these crisis events because, again, they really help to, to reboot our reality. And just like our comics and our film series here, we're also going to be going through a bit of reboot. As we mentioned, we're going to be changing a little bit of our format. Maybe we're going to throw in some Halloween episodes, some you know holiday themed episodes. We're going to possibly be doing a live reaction to the worst rated DC film of all time, possibly right now, that the Batman Death in the Family. I, I cannot get enough of that idea. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we have been confirmed. We are back. We have tagged along with Flash. He took us along with his run to the horizon to create this new universe because we, you're, yeah, another DC animated podcast host here. We got a season two, baby. Oh, yes. And again, in the upcoming weeks, you're going to hear some more details about our season two. And just know that season two will be. I would normally put a pun in here, but we're, <laughs> we're not revealing anything. <laughs> not yet. They're, yes, it, we're it, keeping is, it hush. <laughs> we're keeping, yes, we're keeping it Batman hush. And this is for good reasons. We have so many exciting opportunities in so many directions. We, we're given so much freedom luckily to go in many different directions and we're still nailing down like what is going to be the best show for you guys and we want to make sure that it is the best show so we're going to keep the details hush but trust us it's coming and definitely reach us reach out to us on our social media pages if you ever have anything that you want us to talk about or if you're just interested in one to chat with us in general just let us know we are available on all of our platforms but until then take care of yourselves and grab your remote watch our watch the movies listen to the podcast have fun <laughs> yeah have fun and if you know someone holds you at gunpoint and ask you what is the proper watch order well now you have it Mm -hmm. And good luck with that gun thing. <laughs> <laughs>Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. 
The first comics on our list are Justice League Volume 7 through 8 Dark Side War. These two collections contain all the main issues by Jeff Johns and inspired our film here and helped to close out the New 52 continuity, opening the door to Rebirth and more secrets of the DC Universe. Next we have Crisis on Infinite Earths. This first crisis event of DC and probably the most famous crossover event in comic book history sees different versions of our DC heroes face off against a being whose sole purpose is the destruction of the multiverse. This 1985 event by Marv Wolfman and George Perez was so popular that DC heavily adopted Universal Reset plot devices and later produced a live action version of this story in the CW Arrowverse. Finally, we have Final Crisis. Though not actually the last reality altering moment in the DC multiverse, it was a pretty big one. Here we see that Darkseid has won. Our DC heroes must band together once again to take down the new god, but we learn that being a hero means making sacrifices. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.